HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Café Patachou, a student union for adults since 1989 in the heart of Indianapolis. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture? We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, Food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. And so I literally go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Kane, welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Kerbin, founder of VitaCoco, the coconut water that made coconut water a thing in the U.S., VitaCoco was the first coconut water launched here in 2004. And 15 years later, I just guessed, you're in like over 100,000 stores. Sure, at least. Yeah. Yep. I don't <laughs> <It's> know. <laughs> 30 countries. Yeah. Um, and you're not like in the sauce. You're like, you have, you have made the sauce. The I'm in sauce. the sauce every day. I love the fact that you... <laughs> well, that's because that's your personality. Um, so you're a huge inspiration. You're a great guy. I'm so psyched you're here. And there's a lot... Um, we were talking before the show that I was saying, you know, 
you, we could do an entire podcast of how I built this, but, um, I really kind of want to do a podcast of like very specific sort of tactical things that I think you've done really, really well that people can learn from. Cause this I think is sort of like an educational more than an inspirational, mm -hmm. although it has a little inspiration, but before all that, um, when you were little, obviously you didn't know that you wanted to run a coconut water company. What did you want to be? What was your kind of vibe? I get the sense that you were a little naughty. <laughs> Am I right? You're a pretty good judge of character. Yeah. I mean, you're naughty now. So yeah, I feel like exactly. I can just picture, first of all, you must've been the cutest kid oh. and you were probably a pain in the ass. Totally. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love You're being welcome. here. <laughs> you know, Let's just get right into what it means. Right off the bat is perfect. <laughs> exactly. Um, I know my customer. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, as a kid, I was, yeah, I was mischievous. I was a bit of a troublemaker. I was the one that was with the cooler teachers. They loved me. And right. we, I always had so much fun and they had fun. And it was, yeah. you know, I was, yes, I was disruptive, but that was just my personality. Right. <laughs> always been disruptive. Yeah. And um, with the more strict conservative teachers, you they the always had me in the principal's office. Yeah. It was just my life. Um, <laughs> you know, and as a kid, I, I, um, I, I like to have a good time socially. I was, I was, you know, super, you know, normal, but academically I really struggled. Yeah. Um, and I think that obviously had an impact on, on what I became. Yes, I, I can remember sure. as a kid, teachers used to say, if you can't spell and you can't write, what are you going to do with your life? Mm -hmm. And I always said, I'm going to have my own business right. and I'm going to have a secretary. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Run a company. Yeah. Right. That was before yeah. spell check. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, that was my childhood. And then you, I don't, I know that you went to school. It wasn't for you. And then, but you started like a software company or something. Yeah. Like, no, so I left school. Did you think you wanted to be like a software person? No, I just wanted to have my own business. Right. Um, I've never had a job, never been on a job interview in my life. Right. Um, and I, even as a little kid, I knew that wasn't going to be the direction I, I right. went. I've had businesses from the time I was, you know, six or so selling tomatoes. I grew in my garden <laughs> at my grandmother's, you know, bridge club right. to, you know, baseball card shows right. and all that stuff all the way through. And I started a business at 19, a computer software business uh, that I still have today. Oh my gosh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great business and That's so still fun. have it. And, uh, and you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the things I do, you know? And then the folklore has it that you were in Miami or in Brazil and you met two women. Oh, the bar. Yes, the bar. I was actually in New York City. Lower you were East in New York City. Yeah. Okay. Cold February night. and uh, Single. Me, yeah. Yeah. Single. Living I mean, here? Were met you... two Brazilian girls at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was when I was single. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be yeah, talking about no, it in this podcast. It, it was a little awkward with my wife, <laughs> yeah, but it's she wasn't the crazy story it, of but... the company. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so you were yeah. living in New York. Living in New York. Yeah. Okay. I and was, uh, maybe 28. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Me and my buddy met two girls, Brazilian girls at a bar, Lower East Side. <laughs> and uh, he moved to Brazil pretty shortly after that. Yep. Married her. Um, I went down to visit and uh, we saw coconut water everywhere. And that's where the idea came from. So that's where a lot of, I think, people who listen to this are. You know, there's an idea and it's like, oh, of course, that makes total sense. Like, ding, ding, ding. But then you have to go, like, how did you even figure out 
what to put it in. Like, did you call Tetra Pak and you're like, hey, I would like to bottle this? Or how did you figure out where to get it? All that stuff. So we were in an interesting position because coconut water, um, I've had it before. I had had it in the tropics. You go anywhere in the tropical world and, and you find coconut water, people drinking it out of, a, out of the coconut. Right. The difference here was that it had just started to be packaged in a Tetra Pak. So it was the first time that we were seeing or anybody was really seeing packaged coconut water and it was blowing up in Brazil because right. of the potassium, the electrolytes. People were drinking it instead of any sport drink. So right. they would go for a run or they would you know, be at the beach and they'd be drinking yep. coconut water out of a Tetra Pak. Yep. So we saw that that was the opportunity. Right. I and knew just, could, that wasn't yeah. happening in the States. It wasn't happening anywhere, right? right? And so... Um, besides Brazil. And um, so we found a local manufacturer who was making their own brand in Brazil at the right. time. And we asked them if they would produce some product for us. We came up with a name and that's how it started. And they started producing for us. So awesome. they were, it was like a co-packer relationship at the time. Perfect. Yeah. And then again, the legend has it, like you get ready for your first big delivery and you get a call from the FDA <laughs> and they say, no, you can't bring that into the States. Yeah. I, um, didn't do a lot of market. Didn't do a lot of research in general. Starting yeah. the business, we just started a business. Thought it was a good idea. Um, probably should have looked into these type of things, but realized you know the FDA called up and said you don't have this type of registration that you need for this type of product. Um, we said okay, can we get it? And they said yes, but it'll take about three months. Right. Meanwhile, the product has, was already arriving in the U.S., so it was either I destroy it, which was our entire savings and yeah. everything we were investing in the business. Or I stored in one of their warehouses for $30,000 a month, which I didn't have. <laughs> right. So I didn't have a lot of options. So backing up a second. So you go to this co-packer in Brazil and you're like, who designed your logo? Like, how'd you even, was it always Vitacoco? Did it always look like it does now? It always looked pretty similar to it wow. does now. The logo was almost the same, except it had a little, like a swoosh in the middle of it, <laughs> right. which we took out. But um, no, uh, Ira, my business partner, uh -huh. Uh, his wife owned a really, she had just started this tiny little ad the agency. The one that you met in the bar. Yep. Right. Exactly. Okay. She started a little ad agency and she did, you know, with Ira and I back and forth, we did the logo, we did the packaging and that's so cool. And it's barely evolved since. I mean, have you, I've seen some of like the OG labels from like, look at our, look up RX bar original label. Yeah. Like considering what RX bar is and how much of their sort of brand identity is that very simple, colorful logo with the ingredients. It, everyone should look up their original logo. It's kind of funny. It looks nothing like it. Oh, really? They yeah. adapted to that. Totally. It was like, it was not that. Oh, wait, Maddie oh, wow. yeah, is no, showing I'm looking it. at it. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Totally yeah. different, right? Anyway, so it's just they interesting. They found something that worked for them. Ours yeah. kind of, I think uh, part of our, for, for those of you who have seen it, the packaging and the brand, it's very simple. It's very approachable. It's it happy. looks like it was done by a, you know, couple guys in Brazil who really didn't know <laughs> what they were doing. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's bright and it's blue and it's eye catching. Yeah. I mean, for someone who took a first stab, it was a pretty good first yep. stab. Yeah, no, it came out well. Um, and so you, did you call your friends and family and say, Hey, I'm in Brazil. I'm at this co-packer. I want to make, I want to bring this stuff to the United States can you lend me some money or invest or like how did, did you just, you put in your whole savings? Or? I had some savings. Right. I invested in the business. Um, Ira did too. Um, all of his bar mitzvah money. <laughs> <laughs> we, we scrapped everything Uncle we had Howie. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and um, no, we put together, you know, a little bit of money, enough to 
get the thing off the ground. To until, make how many? Yeah, to make, it was uh, two containers, almost three containers of product, and that was kind of it. Right. Um, and, uh, and when that product wasn't going to be allowed into the country, that right. was a big issue for us. It was, it was either shut down the business uh. um, or find a place to sell it. So I know you know the story, but I went no, down I, to the Bahamas. No, I want you to tell the story. Okay. Right. Um, I found a distributor in the Bahamas uh, who was willing to take it on consignment. So I shipped it to him. How did you go? How did you find a distributor in the Bahamas? Like so we the, went to a trade show in uh-huh. Chicago before we started the business and had a little makeup booth with a table and a right. drape in the back with a sign on it. And one of the distributors that came by the booth had given me a card. And so I remembered it when this all oh happened. Gosh. I went searching through my cards from the trade show. That's awesome. And I found this guy. He's like, yeah, I'll take it, but I'm not going to pay, pay you for it. You come down here and sell it. Whatever you sell, I'll pay you for it. So wow. I went down to the Bahamas for two weeks, rented a car, <laughs> went door to door, houses, bars, clubs, grocery stores, and sold a good amount of the product <laughs> and made our money back. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, I had a blast. I'm it. sure so you fun. probably enjoyed that. I would have been like <laughs> a really puddle good. on the floor. <laughs> no, I mean, like you, like, I don't have the temperament oh. for that, clearly. But I did do something similar at the fancy food show. Like when I knew that we had to be at the fancy food show, we basically like bought a single piston filler. We made some sauce. We like slapped on some labels and we're like, yeah, here's our product. I mean, we didn't, we had no way to produce it. We had no distribution. We didn't even, I didn't know what distribution was at that point. That works. And I think, you know, as we talk about Mm -hmm. advice or things like that, that's the number one thing I, I usually tell, you know, young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs is that it's better to get things done and mm-hmm. do things than to worry about doing everything perfectly. Right. And that's what kind of moves you along. You can go back and fix stuff later as you go. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like some stuff not to mess up in the first time around, but for the most part, yeah, like the, the FDA, right. <laughs> or safety, safety. Yeah. For sure. That's yeah, a big no, one. Of course. Definitely. But then there, but then, yeah, I mean, I feel like anyone who, to anyone who thinks that it's going to be the final formula or the perfect package. It never is. It never is. It hopefully never is, no. right? 15 years in, it's still not. Yeah. Evolving, yeah. right. So after the Bahamas, you get the permit, you're ready to go. The FDA is like, yes. Do you do you make another yep. production run yep. at that same co-packer? Yep. It gets sent to... You do like, do you go pick it up in New York? Like what? I mean, so the first, so that's a good question. Yeah. You typically wouldn't. Right. Um, <laughs> but eat it. <laughs> the, so before the containers arrived, we air freighted, um, a couple pallets uh-huh. because we had retailers who just, you know, were waiting for the product that was just taking forever in New York, in New York. And you had gone and said yeah, like, Hey, like I got some this GNC thing. stores right. and stuff like that. So I went, I went to JFK. Um, I didn't have the, I needed a bank <laughs> check or something. Into the microphone. <laughs> it was good. Sorry. Everybody. Um, I needed a bank check. I had to go to the Citibank at, right. at JFK, which I didn't even know they had one, like an actual I know, that's bank very funny. and, um, did the whole thing, got the, got the pallet loaded into the back of my SUV, little SUV, right. and um, and started delivering it to stores. And then the containers arrived. And then did you have a distributor at that point? Like, had you signed someone up? Angelo. Angelo is a dude. Angelo is a dude. Right. I met on the street in Brooklyn. <laughs> he had a van. Man with a, a van. A man with a van. And he was selling naked juice at the time to local stores in Brooklyn. Got it. And um, I met him one day on the street. 
and uh, <laughs> convinced him to take the product, and he did. And he was my distributor for the first three years. That's amazing. All over New York, you know. Um, he was originally only in Brooklyn, and I started sending him orders every day for, you know, all of Manhattan and Brooklyn, and he, he got it done. I can't wait. Okay, I literally can't wait for the rest. But we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to get back, and you're in New York, and then you just blew up. And we're going to talk about that. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by Café Patachou. Long described as a student union for adults, Café Patachou is an award-winning café serving world-class breakfast and lunch in the heart of Indianapolis. Created by Martha Hoover, Café Patachou began as a mission to open a restaurant that used the best local ingredients prepared expertly. What Martha would cook for her own family was exactly what she wanted for her restaurant guests. Café Patachou has since grown into a restaurant group and the Patachou Foundation. And while Martha is no longer in the kitchen whisking three eggs per omelet anymore, she is still spreading her passion for premium local ingredients, now in several concepts and locations. Learn more at patachouinc.com. That's P-A-T-A-C-H-O-U.com. Hi, I'm back with Mike Kerbin of VitaCoco. So you're back in New York. You've got your palate. You've got Angelo. And... I, all I, do, I don't know. Did you roller skate or something? Yeah. yeah, because I picture you with a backpack of coconut water on your back on skates, That's... just like zipping through the streets and, and trying to get bodega, like, you know, proprietors basically to take your product. That's it. I, um, yeah. Um, that's the story and it's, uh, it's really what happened. I, I realized pretty quickly that I could hit a lot more stores on my rollerblades and rollerblades were still cool back then. Well, it wasn't they like probably so weren't actually they, cool, but yeah, it's but fine it's that okay. you feel that way. I feel yeah. very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I found I could hit a lot more stores more quickly on my rollerblades. So that's what I did. I went store by store by store. Um, I would do, I started doing it in the mornings. And then I realized pretty quickly, and this is something anybody selling beverages or anything in New York City realizes quickly, you can't go in there during breakfast, you can't go in there during lunch, you can't go in there in the busy hours, they get pissed off and they never want to see you again. Right. So um, you go yeah. in there at night when they're counting the money? That's exactly right. Yeah. You go, the later you go, it's when the owner is usually there because every other time you're there, they say, oh, you got to talk to my boss, right. you got to talk to my boss. Right. And so I kind of figured out when boss was going to be there. And, and did you... so? At that point, like, let's back up a little because this is 2004. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, forget about there's no social media. No. Right. There's there's Gatorade. Mm -hmm. There's still people are still drinking soda. Mm -hmm. There. Remember those days? Yeah. (laughs) The soda, Maddie. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, There. So what who did did you at that point be like, okay? Did you even think this way? Here's the market for no. Like you didn't think I'm going to take a little bit away from Gatorade. I'm going to take a little bit away from was vitamin water a big thing at that point? Vitamin water was starting to really, you know, get big. Um, But really what we were doing was, yeah, it was Gatorade. So we, um, you know, we went after Gatorade. We we told, you know, store owners, we would tell consumers it's nature's sport drink. Right. 
um, because of the hydration and potassium and the electrolytes. Yeah. And then, so I'm a bodega owner. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll take a case. Do I pay you for it then? Or like, how did you get, how did you, how did you have all of these different? So I started, um, just saying the guy would say, okay, send me a case or send me a couple cases. Um, and I'd give him the price and everything else. And then I'd take it and I'd tell Angelo and Angelo would show up the next day to deliver the cases and the guy would say, I never ordered those. Right. So I realized pretty quickly that I needed to get some proof that they ordered it. So right. I created a little form and every time I'd take an order, I'd make somebody sign it. Right. So next day, Angelo shows and I'd fax them to Angelo at night. Yes, they still had fax machines. <laughs> I'll tell Maddie what that is. I'd later. fax them to Angelo at night and he would show up the next day and they'd say, I didn't order that. And Angelo would say, well, here's your signature. Wow. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And then what would you say was sort of like when did it shift from you on rollerblades and a backpack to like, okay, this is a, this is a business now. Whole Foods. Okay. And how did that happen? Um, another fun story. I went, I um, couldn't get a hold of anybody who could make any decisions at Whole Foods no. at that time. <laughs> That's on purpose. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, I found uh, an assistant grocery manager at the Columbus Circle Whole Foods um, who was from the Dominican Republic and just loved coconut water, ah. grew up on it. And um, he found a way to put it into the system, got it into the system in that store so I could start selling it. Oh, wow. Just in that store. Just in that store. And then I started going in every single night and sampling. And right. that was, and still is to this day, yep. marketing. I mean, it's getting it in people's hands. Yep. It's so interesting. I had Pat Jamey on the show a couple of weeks ago. And I think, you know, he's just the field marketer, like yep. extraordinaire. But I think in the in the age of Instagram, for some reason, we've been sort of falsely led to believe that if you have a lot of people that follow you, that will translate to stores. And people just, I think, really take for granted that A, when consumers are, are buying something that they're going to consume, they want to actually taste it and mm -hmm. feel it and see it. But I also think they underestimate the power of the merchant and the buyer. Like that's been this huge, the hugest thing I think in this whole journey for me is learning that the consumer is not my customer right. and having to figure out that has been kind of crazy, yep. but you literally personally were in every store or this one store every night when they would allow that, which they don't anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just have a table, drink this, try this, drink this, try this. Yeah. It was that store. It was every store. I mean, like that's how I would get, sometimes I would only be able to sell product to a store if I would promise demos and I promise you I'll sell everything and anything I don't sell, I'll buy back from you. I mean, right. I was making deals like at everything you could right. imagine to get the product on the shelf. Right. Yeah. And so it started at Columbus Circle and then did you get a call from another Whole Foods? Yeah. Then we kind of, you know, we went to Union Square, then we right. went to the next one and the next one. And then we started getting some regional action and then eventually, you know, got the product um, into Whole Foods nationally. Right. And that's kind of beyond Whole Foods nationally. We never really left New York for three years at least. Yeah. Um, which is rare today. I mean, no, I know it, it, it's interesting. Cause I was thinking, I also was talking to Gracie from matcha bar mm -hmm. and for a beverage, I think that New York is kind of amazing in the sense that it's all these small stores and you can just bodega hop or small grocery hop for, 
you know, a product like mine is actually really challenging because that's not the demographic. That's yeah. not the store. There aren't these sort of like big retailers that can like really move the needle except for Whole Foods, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm fortunate mm -hmm. that I'm in there, but it's just, it's a, New York is such an interesting city that way because you grew it. I mean, the way that I think about it, maybe this is wrong, but I think of you being like super hyper local mm -hmm. in the sense that like you dug in on Union Square. Like when it was Union Square week, you were in every bus terminal. You were it's like, core yeah, and more. And we live by that to this day. Core, you, and, core more. and more. So if you want to build something, yeah. you start and then you build out from there. So you, we started with, yeah, Union Square Whole Foods. Yep. And then from there, it's all the little bodegas around Union Square Whole Foods. And mm -hmm. then it's everything a little bit further and a little bit further. And that, you know, it creates this, this kind of image that the product is everywhere, right? Yeah. Because the people, especially in a city like New York, they a lot of people don't far. leave their neighborhoods. Yep. And so we would create, we'd have little case stacks by the, by the register in all the little delis in that area. And we were like, you know, we were massive, but right. we were really only massive in like, you know, eight stores, but they were all next to each other. No, it's so, it's so, I mean, as, can you look back and think of anything you would like t people not to make the mistake that you made at that time? Or like, do you feel like the lesson of that time is just stay local, focus on like growing your home base and yeah. like take it chunk by chunk. Do you feel like there's anything you'd like us to avoid? I think it depends. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of, you know, companies who raise money early, yeah. uh, maybe raise a lot of money and are kind of pushed and therefore, you know, need to expand very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes it really hard to build real traction that yep. way. Um, we were lucky that we only had so much and we yeah. had to make it go really far. And we knew that we couldn't do the same thing in Boston and LA that we were doing in New York at the time. Cause right. I wasn't in Boston yeah, and LA right. and you know, it was just the way it was. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the only trap that you need to be careful. You don't get, I do think it. that, and I've said this on the show too. And I, again, this is just my personal opinion, not that anyone's like taking it for the gospel, but I do think that there is a little bit of a shift now. I think the last several years, there's been a lot of money and the, it's been like grow, 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 open doors, you know, top line sales, margins, eh, yeah. you know, core business, yeah, eh, but like open, 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 because the valuation is based on sales, not on, I mean, it has, I guess there are elements of the other business, but you ask people what the valuation is based on. It's not based on like how sturdy and solid are the margins <laughs> of the business. No, it's like about that top line. Yep. So that you open all these doors and you go really wide. And that's because you're kind of being pressured to do so by that money needing to be ready for the next round. But you're not building velocity in the stores that you're in. And it's, it's just healthy. like, it's a not healthy way to be, right? So I think that's shifting a little bit now, maybe. I think I'm personally happy. I say this all the time. Like, I feel like the line, like the flashlight has gone off of food a little bit and onto like beauty and wellness, mm -hmm. which makes me feel a little bit of a sigh of relief. Like, honestly, not because... Not as much pressure. <laughs> not as much pressure. I, yeah. I'm a go deep, not wide human um, anyway. I understand the need to grow, but I do think that that, is shifting a bit, yeah. I hope, because I hope it yeah. is too. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's an issue. And I think, you know, there's so much private equity and, and just small investors, you know, who just want to be in this space. They heard about vitamin water. They heard about yeah. buy, they heard about body armor. They hear about these stories. 
Um, I've got a very good friend who works um, with so many um, brands in this food and beverage space. Mm -hmm. And he says to me all the time, he's like, Mike, you can't imagine all of these companies that sell, they're a week away from bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, and it's really, you know, it's it's challenging. And I think it's it works and it's worked historically for brands like the ones I just mentioned. Right. But, but you've they're seen one in they're one in a gazillion. Right. You see so many examples where it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think um, I, you know, I'm glad I never had the chance to give somebody like Ben Weiss who started by or, mm -hmm. or, you know, the guys who started vitamin water or body. <laughs> they didn't ask for your advice. I, they didn't ask for my <laughs> advice and I'm glad they didn't get it because right. they've been incredibly successful yeah. and fortunate. And yes. It's worked out really well for them. Yes. Um, but it's just, I like to sleep well at night, yeah, me you know, too. and I like to create a healthy business. Yeah. Um, and I run my business like as if it were a dry cleaner. Yes. Or a oh my station. gosh. It's so funny. I always say that. <laughs> That's so funny. I always say that because yeah. when I first met it's a business. someone we know mutually, he was like, oh, so you have a nice lifestyle business. And I was sort of like, well, what does that mean? You know, and he's <laughs> like, well, it just it's like the dry cleaner, you know, whatever. Yeah. And even though like I know that the sauces can't be the same as my brick and mortar, like obviously the scale is different. I am going to be raising money. There are all these different things. My mentality, my DNA is running a brick and mortar family dry cleaner. That's, it. that's who I am. And when I have to do these other things, that's okay. As long as I know that like, if it all dried up tomorrow, if there was no one to invest in my company, would my company still be able to survive on its own two feet? And it would. Doesn't that you know? feel good? Yeah, it feels great. I do feel a little bit like I'm a bit of a Luddite compared yeah. to a lot of like the speedy guys. I you know? know, I feel like you could move fast, but you've got to get the fundamentals in right. place. You know, the yeah. business has to be a sound business and then you could move as fast as you want as long yeah. as you, you know, you're not just burning cash. I've seen so many of these businesses just burn so much cash yep. and that's not fun. No. Um, okay. So when did you first raise money? Early 2007. Okay. And what was the impetus for that? Um, we realized that, you know, if we wanted to expand outside of New York in a bigger way, we right. realized we had something that was really working. Yeah. Um, so um, we raised money. We didn't go to a lot of different investors. I went to one investor. <laughs> I had heard about him. Um, we spoke via email um, briefly. He told me my business was way too small for him. Right. Um, and I said, um, when I hit a million dollars in revenue, um, will you at least you know, have a conversation. He right. said, sure. And then six months later, <laughs> I sent him an email and said, I hit a hit, uh, hit a million dollars in revenue. I'd actually hit 800. Right. Um, uh, can I come? He was in Europe. I said, can I come for lunch? And we went for lunch and over lunch, we did you a deal. You flew to Europe I for flew lunch. to Europe mm -hmm. um, on a ticket that somebody I knew won in a tennis tournament. Um, great. I, and I couldn't get it. It was in Brussels. I couldn't fly to Brussels, but he got a ticket to Dusseldorf. <laughs> So we flew to Dusseldorf and drove to... Um, so I'm sorry, yeah. just back up for a second. <laughs> so you were never at like an Expo West or any of those shows. There was no like barbarians at the gate, like waiting to, you know, like buy you up or invest in you. You just, you literally knew this dude had invested in something. Vitamin water. In vitamin water, yeah. right. Which makes sense. That's yeah. a good comp. Yeah. And you cold emailed him. And you're like, I think you should look at this. He said it's too small. And then you flew to Dusseldorf and he met you there. Uh, no, I drove to Brussels. You so drove? Oh, I see. Oh, I was going to say, okay. I was like, he <laughs> I met had, you in Dusseldorf? No, I had lunch under his office Got at the it. restaurant under his I office see. Okay. In, in Brussels. Okay. And we sat, I sat across the table from him and he said, um, 
what other investors are you talking to? <laughs> and I said, you're the only one. He said, wow, that is quite foolish. And wow. Then you know who this yes. is, right? That yep. is quite foolish. Yeah. And he said, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for um, $4 million for 20% of my business. I was actually looking for $2 million for 20% of my business. Right. And he thought he was being sneaky. And he said, I'll give you $2 million for 20% of your business. <laughs> I reached my hand across the table. Wait. We shook hands and that was it. Did he, did you, did, I mean, did you show him a sales forecast model or after, I mean, you afterward went he dug like, deeper? We talked okay. over lunch about the business itself. Wow. And then afterward he did some due diligence and then he invested. Wow. Yeah. So he got, he thought he was getting you 20% know, of the business <laughs> for $2 million. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me the math on that. So eight, then, so like, yeah, 8 million was the valuation. Yeah. Uh, yeah 10 right. million. Yeah. Right. Or does it go the other way? I don't know. I, don't know I mean, I, I can figure it out. I actually can figure it out now. That's so funny. Yeah. Do you, I had my like um, outsource CFO here a couple of weeks ago and she literally like took out because I was like, how do you calculate a margin if you want? I mean, I can't. My brain just doesn't really work it, that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I made my first model this weekend though, Mike. Oh, that's really, great. Yeah, it's really cool. Awesome. It's like, yeah. All right. Anywho. <laughs> so we're, is this the dreaded era of, I mean, was the other coconut water a threat at this past, mm-hmm. at this time? So basically it's been three years. You've been building up your business. Your velocities are good. You have this really great local thing. You're in how many Whole Foods are you I in? think at that time we were probably in most regions. Okay. So. Most regions, mm-hmm. but dun, dun, there's also Zico. Yeah. And they, how quickly did they get bought by Coke? I think that was 2009. So it was a couple years after that. Um, And uh, no, it was, it was a street fight. It was us against Zico in New York. They were also New York based at the time. Right. Um, And we were just, you know, battling it out in New York. And we thought, foolishly, I think, thought that it was going to be either one or one or the other was going to survive and the other one wasn't. Right. Well, that's, that, that is the interesting, I like this part of the story a lot. Yeah. Cause I like the fact, and there was another, is one yep. still around? Barely. Okay. Pepsi bought Pepsi them. Pepsi owns it that you see it occasionally. Coke bought Zico. Yep. And then you were like riding solo yep. and that was probably pretty scary. And did you think at that point, uh, it's, it might not work because they're so big and they have so much behind them. And or yeah, I remember the day that I found out that Coke was buying Zico or a buying a piece of Zico. Right. I remember getting a bottle of whiskey and a cigar and sitting in the bathtub for like three hours. Wow. Um, that was probably like the most stressful, yeah. really the only really stressful moment because I thought they're going to crush us. Yeah. But instead, um, we came up with a really interesting idea. Again, by accident, a lot of the things we've done have been somewhat of an accident where we um, n- shortly after that sold part of the business to a group of celebrities. So Madonna, right. Demi Moore, Matthew McConaughey, Anthony Kiedis, um, and they invested in the business. They, they did a whole funding round That's, where they took the whole round. And they found you. Yeah. Yeah. They found me. It was an introduction to Madonna's manager. And he was like, you know, Madonna's drinking this stuff. She's drinking it on stage. She's talking about it in interviews. Right. You know, we should do a deal. I said, what type of deal? Right. He said, like a endorsement deal. Uh-huh. And you're and like, I, well, no, I'd rather it, her just invest in I the company. Had, I right. said, I, first of all, I can't pay her anything. Mm-hmm. Second of all, even if I did, I'm not going to put billboards and TV ads. I don't have the money for it. Right. I, and jokingly, I said, but we are doing an investment round. Right. And he said, you know, 
give me the details. I did. And he got his whole crew together and they took the whole round. Oh my gosh. And that separated us yeah. from everybody, yes. right? Now we had a huge amount of PR. We had pictures of Madonna drinking and, it right. and all this stuff. And um, it really helped elevate the the brand and gave us the ability to, to you know, talk with a louder voice. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm sure... There, there are stories that where it's worked really well and there are stories where it hasn't worked so well. But my guess is that you would have, I mean, first, I don't think you would have stayed, but you would have hated every second of that, like getting acquired by a oh, larger yeah. no, company no, 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 that no. you would, yep. it goes back to you in fourth grade. No, it, yeah, that authority issue I have. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> like that. Um, so let's, I'd like to, in the last kind of 10 minutes or so, I'd like to sort of go through different pieces and get your best advice. Okay. Great. Happy. Margins. Margins are critical. I, I see businesses all the time that, um, you know, we're doing great. Sales are great. We're growing at 8,000%, whatever <laughs> right. it is. Um, yeah. What are your gross margins? Oh, 15%. Right. It doesn't work. Yeah. At the end of the day, to run a consumer goods business, you need enough money to invest in marketing. You need enough money to invest in distribution or route to market. Um, and if you're working... I believe if you're working on or don't have a path to at least 40% gross right. margin at some point in time, at least it's going to be really challenging to grow a real business, sustainable business. Yeah, that leads me to my second question, because I feel like early on, for me, one of the ways that I'm getting to that margin is by looking at my supply chain very, very early and locking it up. As tightly as I can. Great. I'm not buying my own production because it's too complicated. But you did. I mean, you invested in supply chain and in like production very early. Yeah. Right? I mean, we didn't have an option, right? So we're producing this product that grows in the tropical world in third world countries. Um, and there was nobody. The co-packer right. we were using was also now co-packing for Zico uh, and for O and E. Wow. Um, and they were at capacity. Oh, it's O N E. One. Right. Coke no, I one. thought it was one. Yeah, no, I don't know what it yeah. is. It's one of the two. <laughs> okay. It's relevant, <laughs> really. It's irrelevant. Right. They were, no. Um, but uh, and they were they had capacity issues, and so we had right. no choice but to go to the north of Brazil, find a local partner, and build a factory from scratch, right. which we did, which was super challenging, but we learned a ton. Right. And then we took that experience. We we ended up selling our portion of the joint venture back to the local partner. Right. Um, and we built this supply chain that's operating in, you know, six different countries. Yeah. We have eight or 10 factories running and we don't own any of them today. So the idea was put these people in business, <laughs> yep. whether it's financially or through a commitment of volume. Right. And then um, let them run it, let them own the business. Yeah. And we have an exclusive guaranteed supply. That's so it's amazing. It's also, super asset I mean, light. it's, it's asset light on your hands, but it's also like in incredibly it's like the way to help a you know a poor community grow and it's, create jobs it's probably the it's most kind of fun amazing. part of my job today yeah. it's you know so we do that with the with the with the local partner who's supplying us but that goes way further down yeah. we don't buy from plantations there are no plantations right for example in the philippines we buy from thousands of small independent family farmers right, right? so one brother is a fisherman the other brother climbs coconut trees and oh harvests gosh. the coconuts and so we created this this you know program where in the philippines in the last 4 years we built 25 schools 
Um, we've created model farms. So we bring all the local farming communities together. We show them how to intercrop ginger and pineapple right. and create more revenue sources. Um, we give them seedlings. So the trees that their grandfather was harvesting right. that had 200 coconuts a year that now have 80 and they can't figure out why, it's because the tree is old and needs to be replaced. You know and what so I think I things. like the most about you? <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot of that you know because you know how I really like you. But it's... No one knows this. It's not all over your freaking packaging. Right. You're not like out there, you know, waving. Buy a vita like, cocoa, get a vita cocoa. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> God bless them all. But like you're you're actually like doing the stuff. I mean, you might want to get it out there a little more. Just yeah. saying as a consumer. Yeah. I don't know any of this. And I drink, I mean, I love vita cocoa. Yeah. I love the one with the little nibs. Is That's it, my new. This is I know, the. It's, Honestly, the biggest mistake I made in 15 years... Was not putting the nibs in is earlier. <laughs> yeah, not making coconut water taste like coconut from the beginning, yeah. right? We finally figured it out 15 years later. We have this Vitacoco pressed coconut, mm -hmm. which is coconut water with coconut meat, basically. Oh, it's so good. And it's amazing, and it tastes like coconut, and it's yeah. what everybody always, I think, expected coconut water right. to taste like. Yeah, because it is. you had to adapt to the yeah. taste. Yeah. Okay, uh, team advice. Building team your advice. team. You have a lot of people who've been there for a really long time. I know. I know it's, it's really, really cool. it's amazing. My you know my leadership team and I, um, it's really a family. We've been together some of us for over ten years. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would say two things. I would say first of all, always hiring attitude over skill set. For yep. me, it works really well. Um, I might not have the people with the best education around me. Um, but honestly, we work so hard and we work so hard together and we get it done. So it's attitude over skill set in terms of hiring. Mm -hmm. And it's hire people you really like to be around. You yeah. spend so much of your time yep. at work with the people you work with. And I love these guys. I mean, yeah. they are like my family. And it's one of the reasons I, I love waking up in the morning yep. and going to work. I just like hanging out with them. We were talking about our Expo West house and we're all like genuinely excited <laughs> for like, like camp. I know, trip. I know. I mean, it's, awesome. it's really, and it's funny because I've been talking to a couple people lately that are growing pretty quickly and they feel this incredible pressure to just, they need someone in that seat. They need, they need to hire these people and they're speeding through the process a little bit. And even as they're speeding through it, they know that they shouldn't be, Yeah, you know, like they know that it, it you might get lucky, but it is so, I say this all the time, it is so much harder to unhire than to hire. Jim you know? Cook from Boston Beer um, gave me probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. He said, hire slowly and fire quickly. Yeah. And it's really true. Yep. It's like, take your time, find the right person. And at the end of the day, if it's not the right person, don't it's waste not getting your better. time. It's never going to get better. I know. You need to let people off the I hook know. and let them I go. I know. And yep. let them go because yep. it's not good for them no, either. They exactly. know that they're flailing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, distributors. Yep. Advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> distributors are great. I think the key to whatever consumer good you're selling is finding the right route to market for the right customer, for the customer. Right. So sometimes it's hard to force a customer into a specific distributor or route to market. Um, you know, so we've kind of built this hybrid where some customers are direct, some are through our DSD mm -hmm. or direct store delivery guys. Um, and I think, you know, that's really key. Um, the distributors hold a lot of power. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, you know, it's good to 
show them how to do it. You know, it's like, and it's not at the top only. It's like the guys who are in the stores every day, yep. they're not going to go sell your product unless they like you yep. and they want to sell your product. Yeah. So you go out there and you sell it first and you build a display and you show them how it's done. And then they come back and they start, they start right. seeing the turns and they're like, wow, this guy's working hard. He's working hard for me. I'm making money because of the work he's putting in. Yep. I'm going to go help him out. Yeah. And I think it's, it's very awesome. important. Oh, this is so, I feel like this is like rapid fire advice with Mike. Um, <laughs> Costco. Yeah. Because I feel like Costco is a good part of your business. Yeah. And they are interested in emerging brands earlier and earlier. And it scares me because they are big and scary. But I feel like there probably is some advice that you could be giving, like how to build the right walls around that relationship or like yeah. when the time is right or what yeah. are your thoughts? Um you asked what was, I think, the first big break in terms of retail outlets. Whole Foods absolutely mm -hmm. helped me get the brand out there, helped me build some recognition. Um, Costco was a brand building opportunity more than anybody right. would historically have said it could be, right? Okay. Everybody thinks, oh, Costco, you know, big chain, you go there when you're big. Yeah. It's really not. I mean, you're right. They do take, you know, in it's a place where people actually discover stuff, even though they, they buy 8,000 units right. or whatever they're <laughs> buying at once. Right. People like to go to Costco and shop. Right. Um, and Costco was a huge part in building our, our, our business. Okay. Um, That's great news. Building brand recognition. Yeah. And now mm -hmm. you've made an acquisition. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we look at the business, we've built this business over 15 years. We're cracking two and a half million coconuts a day. <laughs> um, we're this, you know, big coconut company, whether it's coconut water or selling ingredients for coconut milk, coconut cream, shredded coconut, all these yeah. things. And I feel we've got the size, scale, infrastructure to do a lot more than that. Yep. Like and invest in a sauce company. Invest in a sauce company. Right, exactly. exactly. I've been Thanks, looking for Mike. one. Do you know of one? <laughs> I might have one that could, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll fly to Dusseldorf and <laughs> let's meet, in Dusseldorf meet you there. This weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've got this platform now. We've got this infrastructure we've built that we could do a lot more with. Mm -hmm. And the big food and beverage guys are doing nothing yeah. in the better for you space. They're yeah. acquiring brands and the brands are then declining. Right. And I think they've opened up this window for us to, you know, just run right through, which is create a bigger, better for you beverage company. And I think right. my, my goal over the next three to five years is to create the biggest better for you beverage company in the world. I got to um, make a beverage. You got to make a yeah. beverage. Um, and, uh, and the first, you know, step in that, as we look at how do we do that by adding new brands, right. it's, a combination of M&A and um, internal innovation and creating brands. Our first innovation was a brand called Runa, right. um, which is a natural energy drink. It's brewed from this amazing leaf that only grows in the Ecuadorian Amazon. Yeah, how do you pronounce Amazon. it again? Guay Guayusa. Guayusa. And the Guayusa leaf is really high in caffeine and polyphenols and L-theanine. So it gives you this great high. It's like caffeination, 150 milligrams of caffeine per serving, which is more than a Red Bull. Wow. But it doesn't give you the jitters. It yeah. doesn't give you the crash. And there's no added sugar or sweetener. So it's just naturally lightly sweet. Right. So it's a super healthy version of you know the traditional energy drink brands, which I think are very ripe for disruption. Right. They work well. The, you know, this is a, a, a need state that's not going anywhere. We all yeah, need energy. For sure. Um, and I think consumers are looking for plant-based, better for you products. And that's kind of what we're looking to deliver. Last two questions. Yep. So now you get to sort of start a little bit again with this new company, yep. right? And yep. help them grow 
what are you shedding from your experience and what are you holding on to from your experience? Like, what are you doing differently? What are you doing the same? I would think, um, so differently, we're investing a lot in marketing because we need to get the, the, word the, the word out. I mean, yeah. we're competing against Monster and Red Bull and they've spent a lot of, they yeah. spend a lot of money. So we're investing a lot of money into marketing, which we didn't do in the early days. Um, and what we are taking from our initial learnings is what we talked about before. It's building, you know, core, core to more, to right? More. It's like yep. building neighborhoods. So it's, you know, right now we're focused on Santa Monica. We're mm -hmm. focused on Williamsburg. We're focused on Boston. We're focused on San Diego right. um, and San Francisco. Very and that's cool. really where the majority of the energy and effort and distribution yep. and marketing are awesome. going. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. This is going to be hard because you've been in this for a long time, but... Can you just identify one moment in the last 10 years, 15 years, where you felt like the little guy on top of the mountain with your arms outstretched? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know there have probably been more than one, but what was like the one if you had to pick? Uh, I, I really liked... Um, an article that came out, I don't know, 2014 or 15 about us versus Zico. And it really mm -hmm. showed that we won. <laughs> yeah. And it just felt so damn good. Awesome. Um, that we'll was find it. it. Yeah. We'll find it. Yeah. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the thank show. You for having I me. wish, I mean, again, I like wish we could talk for another hour, but um, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. Thanks for and having me. I'm going to go get myself a Vita Coco with the little niblets. Pressed. It's the best. The pressed. Right. Awesome. What, last final question. The yeah. pink is fine. Pink is fine. Pink coconut water? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a problem. It's just, I mean, I've never opened up a coconut that was pink. pink. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of you listeners, I have actually uh, Grace from UNFI Next coming on next week, and we're going to talk to a distributor about distribution. Um, and then in a couple weeks, I have a buyer from Whole Foods coming on, as well as a couple of other founders and one very exciting family that's coming on um, to talk about their story, too. So I will see you all, or you'll hear me next week on In the Sauce. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.